Welcome to the Birds FM podcast. This is Scott Kesterson, and tonight you're listening to Seeds and Soil. This war is real. Fighting is everything. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Tempt not the righteous man to draw his sword. Conviction, righteousness, ruthlessness. To understand tolerance, you have to understand the line of intolerance. War is the teacher, soldiers are the students. They become the bards of war. Good evening, patriots, and today is Tuesday, March 29th in the year 2022. Tonight we're going to have kind of a class, so to speak. We're going to get into a little bit of the nuts and bolts of soil and the risks that we're facing in the United States of all of the topsoil that is being stripped away from our land. Soil is truly the connection to our health and our food chain, and it's the one thing that gets often overlooked in the midst of all this other stuff that's going on. And right now, I would say it's probably not even being considered in the looming risk that's coming in this food crisis that's just over the horizon. So before we begin, your health is critical. It's a critical part of our life and our wellness. So with that, I want to give you a quick piece here on keeping your immune system strong. We are surrounded by the stresses and the environmental issues that are challenging our immune systems. And keeping our immune system strong is essential to maintaining a strong position in this fight. Expedition Coffee was designed specifically to not only give you that energy boost you need that will sustain you across the entire day while boosting your immune system and help maintain a mental focus throughout the day. You can find Expedition Coffee, X-P-E-D, Expedition Coffee at expeditioncoffee.com. And there you'll also find a full range of products that are designed to work as a full health ecosystem, all designed to reclaim your personal health sovereignty. Those products include the Gut Health Triad, which helps heal and seal your gut. Leaky gut is one of the critical causes of sickness in our nation. You also have Immune XP, which is an immune booster based on pine cone extract with high levels of vitamin C. Earth, which is a nutrient powder, giving your body a full complement of nutrients you need. Just mix it with water, drink it like a shake. Do that once a day. And Pure 47, one of the most refined silver extracts on the market that can isolate most of the pathogens that you'll encounter. The products on ExpeditionCoffee.com are all designed to give you back the strength in your immune system to not only endure the challenges to the immune system, but to dominate and to rise above to reclaim your true health sovereignty. So check out Expedition, X-P-E-D, ExpeditionCoffee.com. Patriots, we know that we're into a real crisis right now. It's a, it's a crisis of food, and it's crashing down upon us. I want to I played this piece last night. I'm going to play it again right now just as a refresher on what we're coming into now in this crisis that's not just in the United States, it's global. About 15% of the world's calories come from wheat. About a third of that wheat comes from Russia, Ukraine. Russia has banned export of wheat. The wheat spring planting season is like now, this week. And there's not a lot of planting going on. So not only is the current wheat supply in Russia, Ukraine blocked up, and cannot make its way to countries in Africa and elsewhere. But the future planting season is now significantly at risk. And again, that's 15% of global calories. And I just to take a step back, 
The whole planet Earth operates on a 90-day food supply. Once we stop making food, humans run out of food in 90 days. And that's not just linearly across all nations. What happens is the most vulnerable nations lose their food supply first, and the richer nations buy that food supply to secure their population's calories. And so you very quickly see a bifurcation happen where suddenly famine is a real risk. And we already have about 800 million people on Earth that are subsisting on below 1,200 calories a day. So this very quickly tips the bucket in a significant way in a number of countries that's going to be really awful. And that's just on the wheat supply and wheat planting problem. All fertilizer is made up of nitrogen, phosphorus, or potassium. Those are the three major types of fertilizer that farmers around the world have to use every year in order to grow that crop. Nitrogen is made from natural gas. 98% of the world's ammonia is made from natural gas. Natural gas prices, as you guys know, have doubled. And the futures market looks like in some places, natural gas prices going up like 4x. As a result, the price of ammonia fertilizer, nitrogen-based fertilizer, has gone from $200 a ton to $1,000 a ton. So it's five times as expensive to buy basic ammonia fertilizer today than it was a few weeks ago or a few months ago. About 10% of the world's phosphate comes out of Russia. 25% of the world's potassium comes out of Russia, potash. Both of those markets are blocked up. They are sanctioned and they, they have banned exports. Russia has through the rest of 2022. And as a result, the price of potassium has gone from 200 to 700 and the price of phosphorus has gone from 250 to 700. So now it's so expensive to grow a crop that a lot of farmers around the world are pulling acres out of production. And they're actually going to grow less this year than they would have otherwise because it is so expensive and they cannot access fertilizer locally to plant crops. We need Russia to reopen fertilizer export markets now. We need natural gas prices to come down now and we need them to plant the spring wheat. Those are three things that need to happen to solve this problem. If those three things don't happen, we're going into spring right now. So around the world, in the Northern Hemisphere, farmers are making plans, they're planting, they're deciding how much fertilizer to use. And so as this market starts to work itself out over the next few months, a lot of the commodity traders and the, uh, the ag departments, they publish these planting reports and they talk about how many acres of what were planted and then everyone forecasts how much the supply will be. And we're gonna start to see these uglier numbers come out over the next few weeks and months. Meanwhile, we're seeing supplies dwindle well, Patriots, supplies are dwindling across the world for food. And in the midst of the craziness of talking about things like Trump's lawsuit, the reveals of Hunter Biden's laptop, which we all knew two years ago, the idea of Ukraine and whether you're going to support Ukraine and be a Nazi supporter or whether you're going to step back and just let it play out because it's none of our business other than the fact that it's the home of the Khazarian Mafia. All of these things that are going on in the politics and the COVID and the mRNA, they are all minor league players compared to what is happening on a global scale with food. Food is the ultimate leveler. And no matter how much time you spend on social media, no much, matter how much effort you put into understanding the state of the world, it doesn't put food on your table and it doesn't feed you. We have been the breadbasket of the world. During COVID, the government has executed policies to put more land in fallow than ever before, meaning that farmers are not to be producing crops. The environmentalists have seized control of many of the policies. As I mentioned last night, there was a big dump of one of the reservoirs in California in the last summer that was the water necessary to water much of the 
agriculture crops down near Bakersfield, which is the central part of California. Farmers are basically saying that without water, if they don't get the water they need by this summer, most of those plants will die. These are not just plants. These are trees and well-developed produce section or production section within California that will turn itself back into desert. Farmland is on the decline in the United States. We have not seen an improvement in farmland. Quite to the contrary, we have seen a decline in the number of acres available to farm. And at the same time, we've seen a rise in the number of households and ornamental gardens. This is a major problem that we're we're facing as a nation. And it's not going away anytime soon. The total area of land in the United States farms from 2000 to 2021 dropped by approximately 60 million acres, a decline. The problem is the developers have that are looking at these lands and farmers that are needing to sell because they're so in debt and they can't make a living anymore unless they're abiding by the rules of government and the rules of big Monsanto chemical companies and genetic seed developers are selling off these lands and developers are often turning them into large spreads and households. And the good agricultural land that we need is being put under the foundations of homes. Add to that another major problem. And that problem, and this is from an article called Grass Lawns Are an Ecological Catastrophe, published in October of third, on October 3rd, 2018, by one team. I'll just read this paragraph. Turf is defined as the grass and the surface layer of earth held together by its roots. A new study from NASA finds that there are 63,248 square miles of lawn in America. Another study published in Environmental Management found that turf grass covers 1.9% of the U.S., including 700,000 athletic fields, 14,500 golf courses. And this creates major, major problems, just so you know, as, as far as not only pollutants, but also in loss of productive land. Cosmetic gardens are a massive contributor to groundwater pollution because to keep a lawn, most people feed their lawn with with the chemical byproducts that fertilizer is. And at the same time, the reduction in agriculture land means people are going to be more dependent upon the big agriculture model. I want to play a piece from you, for you, excuse me. I want to play a piece for you here. And this is actually from an amazing, a really good channel called Our Changing Climate. And I'm going to support him on Patreon. And I'm using his piece tonight. But if you get a chance, check him out on YouTube. And he's also on Patreon, Our Changing Climate. Just a lot of good resources there. But I want you to hear this piece. This is a five-minute piece on soil that I think sets the entire framework of what we're really dealing with. Here you go. Our soil is dying. 
We tend to focus on issues such as fossil fuels or water in our fight for climate action, and often the issue of soil quality gets left in the dust. But it takes an average of 500 years to naturally build an inch of topsoil, and we're losing it at 17 times that rate. Although soil degradation can be caused by a number of natural factors, increasingly soil quality is affected by human actions. Today, I'm going to narrow in on one of the bigger human-caused factors, industrial agriculture, in order to answer what soil degradation is, why it's happening, and why we need to strive for better soil health. So first, what is soil degradation? Quite simply, it means a decline in soil health as a result of misuse or poor management. Soil can vary widely in its depth depending on whether it's young or stable and old, but it's generally teeming with life. According to the Earth Institute at Columbia University, it's estimated that an acre of soil may contain 900 pounds of earthworms, 2,400 pounds of fungi, 1,500 pounds of bacteria, 133 pounds of protozoa, 890 pounds of arthropods and algae, and even sometimes small mammals. And when soil health is affected, this biodiverse system wanes. Why then is soil degradation such a big issue now? While the quality of topsoil can definitely be damaged by natural occurrences like floods or wind, the rate of topsoil loss has increased radically over the last 200 years in the United States as a result of modern agricultural practices. In Pimentel et al.'s study on the economics of soil erosion and conservation, they estimate that in the United States, soil has been lost at about 17 times the rate at which it's formed. We can pin some of the soil loss to the intensive cultivation practices and monocropping of industrial agriculture. When we till and turn over a field for the next season's crop using large combines, the topsoil is decimated, much in the same way habitat is lost when clear-cutting a forest. Tillage aerates the soil by breaking up its composition, but in the process compacts the soil underneath and kills the wealth of microorganisms hidden to the naked eye. As a result of many years of industrial cultivation practices, the topsoil lies void of life and then needs to be injected with nutrient-filled fertilizer and chemicals, which in turn alter the chemical makeup of the soil and make it even harder for essential organisms to survive. In short, cultivating the soil always results in the decline of its fertility and health. And the continual use of intensive cultivation over the last century has left the United States with a looming soil crisis. So why does degraded topsoil even matter? And will it even affect me? Yes, it will. And even more than you think. Healthy soil is the foundation for healthy plants, which are obviously crucial for our survival. This means that when we continually abuse soil structure and quality to pump out massive amounts of corn and soybeans, we are making it harder to grow nutrient-dense food in the future. Right now, almost 33% of the world's soil has been moderately or highly degraded, according to the Food and Agriculture Organization of the United Nations. And when you consider that soil can store almost three times more carbon than forests and other vegetation, killing it could lead to our inability to mitigate climate change. 
In order to halt this process, we need to reconsider the way we approach agriculture. In Pimentel's study, they argue that the total investment for U.S. erosion control would be about $8.4 billion per year. Considering that erosion causes $44 billion in damages each year, and could very well cause more, this is a no-brainer. But on a more basic level, we should look towards the examples of innovators like Curtis Stone, who is able to create a comfortable lifestyle on a low-till intensive urban farm. His farm builds soil health by adding compost and natural fertilizer like turkey manure to the soil, as well as keeping the cultivation of the land to a minimum. Yes, industrial agricultural practices have provided a large amount of food to North America, but when we consider the long-term negative effects of those practices and the fact that our food system now relies heavily on just a few crops, the positives of supposed abundance merely seem like a flimsy patch for a leaking ship. Soil is our hidden lifeline, and if we destroy it, we lose our ability to feed ourselves and protect our environment. Soil is really the backbone of life, and we take for granted massively. Our gardens, and you've heard me say it many times, kill your lawn and grow a garden, and it's essential to understand how important that is right now. As agriculture land is putting, being put under, many much of it being going back into fallow, and as we have lost like I said, over almost 60 million acres in the last few years. Agriculture is a, as a critical element has become increasingly industrialized and focused on production type crops. That includes, that is primarily corn and soybean. The diversity within our ecosystem has declined radically. The, the approach to farming has always looked at Massive production and anything external to that production, meaning like pests, are considered to be hostile and therefore to be destroyed. If you've read the book Silent Spring, that is an important one to consider. It was written by Rachel Carlson in the 70s, who was really the one who launched a lot of the ecological movement. Now, what's interesting is how far we've come from our roots Teddy Roosevelt was a naturalist and was of an era where farming and the use of, of low-intensity methods was normal. Today, he would be considered probably a radical environmentalist for some of the approaches that he had. Rachel Carlson was one of the ones that brought our attention to DDT. DDT has been linked to possible, possibly been the cause of polio, DDT is, has been heavily used in our environment, and Silent Spring traced the effects of DDT through not only birth defects, but all the way down to the destruction of groundworms and ultimately the food chain of how it works from the groundworms, earthworms on up in killing off the robins and the various other birds and, and species there that goes up in the food chain. We have created a massive problem within our environment that is not easily repairable. And in the food crisis that we're facing, it's a combination of issues that in one way or another are going to come to a head. One of the problems that we have with depleting soils is, and the destruction of topsoil is that we become increasingly dependent upon outside injects to make things grow. Hence, when we talk about the loss of fertilizer, it affects things on many levels 
because it affects the herbicides, it affects the fertilizers, it affects all the artificial products that we're putting into the soil to make plants grow. And that also is how a lot of the GMOs are being engineered to rely on very specific nutrients to deal with a declining soil. The soil is the bed of life. And it really is, quite literally, if we sow seeds in a dead soil, both physically and metaphorically, we are not going to get anywhere. The seeds simply won't germinate. I have been pushing, as you know, and for almost two years now, the importance of reviving the concept of Victory Gardens, and we've renamed it Patriot Gardens. Because the small garden and that backyard is one of the backbones to success in our nation in reclaiming much of what we're facing. As we look at the decline of farming across this nation, even the small farms, in particular, in fact, in the small farms, because there's no profit in small farming, the cost of running a farm these days is so high that 90% of our farmers in this country sustain themselves because of a second job, usually by the wife. That's a really big thing to consider. Farming as a small production, rather than a large agribusiness, does not make money. And it's subject to a, a draconian system of commodities, which is that their future production is traded, not for their benefit, but prices are established through the commodities market that comes out of Chicago of what they can get for a crop in large purchase. And obviously, the farmers are not benefit to that sort of trading windfalls. They're burdened with the costs, and right now their costs are increasing massively. The entire agriculture model that we have in this country is built on a petrochemical system. It is built on big machinery. It is built on petrochemical put injects into the ground, it, which leads to pollutions in water, and the whole cycle collapses. Now, what's very ironic here is that as patriots and as conservatives, this conversation that we're having tonight, which is a critical conversation, for the future of our world, let alone our nation, is a conversation that is a, is a bridge builder with many of the people that would consider themselves left or at the very least liberal. Because we all have a common understanding and need to break away from the corporate beast, which is destroying our earth at its core. And with that, we become the victims because the victims of this is that we don't have food to feed ourselves. And if what food we do get, if we rely on them, is highly deplete, depleted in minerals and nutrients. Now, part of this concept to change requires that we change the way we look at things. There is a term which is known as permaculture. I'm, I'm cautious on pushing permaculture because of one of the clauses that they proclaim in permaculture. But the principle of permaculture is that we go back to a land management principle that it looks at the full ecosystem, which I completely agree with. The reason I'm cautious on permaculture is because one of its tenets is limiting population, which sounds a whole much bunch like eugenics. That said, there is a more reasonable way to growing our lives, which takes us back to older ways and looking at the balance of tending to the land. Tending to the land is important in a way of non mechanical, non-petroleum-based systems to get back to where we physically work the land. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to work it all day long and toil away. But as a small garden in the backyards, it is 
advisable and preferable that we take the approach to tending to the soil and building soil. Soil building is an intentional act. That's one thing to keep in mind. It doesn't just happen. And if we do as they do in big agriculture, which is just to till it all the time and throw more seeds in the ground, eventually, no matter where you are, your soil will be depleted. The concept of stewardship in this whole model is that we are trying to build the soil, which is literally building the fertility within our own sovereign spaces to help enrich that space by sowing seeds that will then bring a greater level of prosperity and bounty for us to live off of and to share. This is where the gardening issue is really of a national strategic importance. And it hasn't elevated that way in any of the discussions, and yet the storm that's coming is requires that sort of attention. And this is where I've decided I'm making this push more and more to focus more highly, more importantly, and more, more intensely on the issue of gardening in the home because we can't affect the big agriculture. We've heard over and over how you have Bill Gates and his cronies buying up huge swaths of land. And that's true in agricultural land. We have other aspects of this, of the federal government putting farmers, forcing farmers to put their land into fallow. We've had farmers having to destroy their cattle herds. Many, many things are happening. The, this bird flu thing, which is whether it's real or not, they're now culling out the chicken uh, flocks within the Midwest. We're seeing a massive decline. In fact, Tyson has closed seven of its plants recently. All of these things are happening in the midst of all this noise and no one's bringing a a big attention to the fact that we are careening into a mass starvation event. And it will begin and has already begun in different parts of the world. When you start to hear and consider how other people are seeing the United States it's important to reflect on what that would mean if we end up having food and they don't. And this is a big piece because the world is awakening to the core of evil in the United States. And I say that whether we like it or not, the United States has used under the banner of God and designated as a Christian nation. We have used the name of God and as a government and as a people, we are subject to that as a nation to destroy nations and destroy people. That awakening is happening around the world. And that's going to lead to a very volatile period as we go forward, especially when you add to that things like lack of food. I want you to hear this piece for two minutes and 22 seconds spoken by a person from the deep state. I'm sorry, not at all. Spoken by a purpose person from India about the deep state. Take a listen to this. But the question I want to ask today, Honorable Deputy Speaker, is this. When the people in Palestine are losing their lives, being raped and murdered, there's no cry from anybody, no passion. When the same thing happens in Syria, we hear nothing. When the same thing happens in Libya, we hear nothing. When the same thing happens in Iraq, we hear nothing. When the Ukrainians are violating the rights of other Ukrainians, particularly in the Donbass region, there's nobody crying for those people. What is the reason for that? What about India? Why is there nobody in this country? 
raising the concerns of the Indian minorities of the Christians and the Muslims whose rights are being violated by the Indian government. Nobody in this country is saying anything about it. Now, NATO went on and bombed many of the Russian allies. Russia could do absolutely nothing about it and stayed out of it. What did Russia stay? Demilitarization. Stay away from my Russian borders. If you notice what has been happening since 1990, they are coming closer and closer and closer to the Russian border until they will make Russia so weak that Russia will have no other option but to give in to them. That is what it is all about. But who is the root cause of this whole problem? It is clearly the West and the United States of America that is the root cause of all the mayhem and chaos and destruction all over the world. Let's talk about the biological laboratories which is funded by the Pentagon in Ukraine. Where is it coming from? Why are they getting involved in those? Let's talk, let's talk about the number of people that were massacred by the Ukrainians who have been detained without uh, trial. Nobody has said anything about that as well. Okay, let's talk about the shelling of the hospitals and the schools and the massacre and the mass grave that were found in Ukraine. Nobody says anything about that. Now, what is Russia asking for? Russia is saying, stay away from my borders and stay away from me. All you have been doing, and remember, Ukraine is being used as a fool by the United States and the West and they're falling into the trap like many other countries have fallen in the trap previously and that's what it is all about. When you start to hear these things around the world over and over, you start to realize how many people are awakening, not just awakening, but having the courage now to stand up and speak the truth. Like it or not, our government has betrayed us. And our government has betrayed us in many, many levels. And all of this ultimately comes back to food. We have been the breadbasket of the world to a certain degree. We have provided food all over the world in certain forms. But right now we are ourselves faced with a crisis as is the rest of the world. I want you to consider carefully how you would feel if you were part of that large section of the world that had to be subject to the United States boot on your throat that you had suffered through various starvation or low diet periods, low calorie diet periods because of whether it was sanctions or oil companies or government overthrows or wars, which ultimately we've had our hand in. Are you going to go to the aid of the United States if it now is in a food crisis and an economic crisis, add to this a declining dollar where our purchase power is falling. Keep in mind, we have built this reputation up around the world over over 100 years. And whether it's, it's the hardest red pill for everybody to face is the fact that no one's coming to our aid. That means that the burden upon saving our world and our nation is going to fall upon each one of us. Now, in terms of Bar's nation, and I really want to make this clear, this is not an exclusive nation-state platform. The one thing that was really great to see today in Bended Knee is that we had Chile, someone from Chile today. We had someone from Wales in today. Bar's nation is about the good of God's world fighting against the evil of Satan, and we are borderless. But it's going to take that commitment 
and that understanding to be able to bridge out here and to help each other. I am not putting my allegiance with this government, this government that has destroyed so much of the world. And right now, as we enter into a big crisis, which they're completely turning a blind eye to, keeping everybody entertained with their antics of Hunter Biden's laptop and whether Biden's going to have another gaffe or whether we're going to put in more rhetoric today or have more green screen fake war footage from Ukraine. The real threat is the food. We've already been through this massive fear section of COVID, which was fake. They created it. The government did it to us. Keep that in mind. Your taxpayer dollars funded the entire effort, including much of the R&D to develop an mRNA shot, which has killed, by latest counts, well over 400,000 Americans and injured well over 1.2 million. That was your taxpayer dollars at work or our taxpayer dollars at work. This is the government we have. And in the process of this, no one has brought attention to the looming crisis of food, which is rooted in the way that we do our, our practice of agriculture. We have to make a change. And we have to make a change in the nature and the way in which we do business. Monsanto, for example, as a standard practice, bullies small farmers over the use of their seed. And if their seed propagates and is grown there and the farmers try to save seed, Monsanto claims dominion over that and rights to it because it's their genetically modified seed. That's the same ruling, by the way. In mod- The GMO rulings through Monsanto and others are the same rulings that the biomedical industry can claim over people's bodies now because of the genetic modifications. And that's happened in seeds. One third of the farmland in the U.S. Corn Belt has lost its topsoil. That's a lot, that's resulted in literally a three billion a year loss for farmers, and you don't get topsoil back quickly. It doesn't happen. So what are we going to do? And you've heard me talk very adamantly about a program that was started by John Jevons and Ecology Action, previously Bountiful Gardens. I'm going to read you a little history, and I want you to hear the impact of this program and just let this filter in as to how much impact a small group of people can have on the world. This is, history, this is the history of Ecology in Action. In 1966, Alan Chadwick, English garden master, brought his synthesis of the biodynamic French intensive method to the U.S. and converted a barren slope at the University of California, Santa Cruz, into a flourishing garden. In 1971, the city of Palo Alto, California, invited Stephen Kafka, senior apprentice at the university's student garden, to give a four-hour class on the method. Ecology Action had been started that year and had developed a recycling program that was so successful it had been taken over by the city. Members of Ecology Action were excited about the class and wanted to make the information more readily available to the public. In January 1972, the Board of Directors approved a biointensive research and education project whose purpose would be to teach regular classes, collect data, make land available for gardening, and publish information on methods and techniques. John Jevons became the project's director. 
The Common Ground Organic Garden Supply and Education Center in Palo Alto was also started at that time as part of Ecology Action's organization. After a five-year search for land, the Syntex Corporation offered a three and three-quarters acres of their grounds in the Stanford Industrial Park with all the necessary water. A half acre was kept for the research garden and the rest became a community garden. Alan Chadwick visited the garden site and gave us basic advice on how to proceed. We then attended a series of lectures to get to he gave nearby. In the spring, we started teaching our own classes based on Chadwick's classes and Stephen Kafka's. Our work grew out of concern about a worldwide starvation and malnutrition. I want to point this out. They were seeing this in 1974. And here we are in 2022, rediscovering what has been there all along. Continuing. If we could determine the smallest amount of land and resources needed for one person to supply all of his or her needs in a sustainable way, we might have a personal solution to these challenges. In 1974, we've published the first edition of what has become How to Grow More Vegetables, Fruits, Nuts, Berries, Grains, and Other Crops Than You Ever Thought Possible on Less Land Than You Can Imagine, based on our research. That's the gardening book, by the way, Patriots, I've mentioned. Continue. The same year, we sent out inquiries to 200 alternative technology organizations around the world offering our materials. The only response at that time came from Dr. Shishadri of the Muragapu Chitaria Research Center in India. After the method was tried out by village women, it was reported, quote, this method can be taught to people with no previous experience of vegetable growing. They can produce good yields with locally available resources in poor soils. In 1980, 1980 was the garden's last year in Palo Alto. Syntax now needed the space, but while the garden was still functioning, a University of California graduate student in soil science tested the beds he found an unexpected accelerated, of accelerated rate of humidified carbon buildup, a process that normally takes hundreds of years. A search began for a rural site for the research garden that would also become the headquarters for Ecology Action. That research center is now in Willits, California. Ecology Action has set up training programs all over the world. They have gone from... A small little place in California, Palo Alto, to now they have a reach all over the world. And you don't hear about them with big banners because that's not their philosophy. Ecology Action's philosophy has always been making an effect person by person, something you've heard me talk about extensively, the importance on one-on-one -on -one change. And this whole concept is based on how to build gardens, not with outside needs and not with big mechanical tools. All of this is how to build efficient systems using non-petrochemical based anything, including equipment, and to rebuild the sustenance of the soil. That's its whole center point. And that comes from the French biointensive method that was pioneered way back in the 1920s and 1930s. The point of all of this, of there's many different ways of gardening, but when we I chose this method for a very particular reason because it was the only one that I have come across and have used 
that can radically improve the health of the soil and bring back the macrobiotic and microbiotic activity. What we have lost in our soils does not come back easily. As they said, it can take hundreds of years. What the effects of this method have done is proven that within three to five years, one can retain and reclaim much of the lost soil health and redo it and do it in such a way that you can accelerate that health by 50 to 100 years in a very short amount of time. The point of all of this is we have to take a change in our nation. We have to make a pivot from the dependence and reliance on corporate agriculture and get back to small gardening as a sustenance base of how this economy and world is going to function. This isn't my opinion. It's based on hard data to look at what calamity we have coming at us. The calamity is huge. The whole infrastructure of the petrochemical farming model is breaking down. The reliance on GMOs is not making a healthier human. It's making a more profitable product. When you look at the analysis of how they design key vegetables and key fruits for market, you'll see things like, as an example of a description of a tomato, we need a tomato developed that can withstand a projection much like it was being sent like a missile. That's not a natural product. We are also facing a biodiversity problem, which is the complete reduction of our biodiversity into monolithic type strains of crops that are grown in labs that don't themselves reproduce. This is all in the hands of the people right now. With, with over 60 million acres, 60 million acres in, in lawns, when I say kill your lawn and grow a garden, that's a massive amount of food production back into play for people to do in the United States. It's an effort that we, each an individual, can make a difference on. It is a radical move. And as a nation, if we start pushing this and creating a movement again of the interest in gardening, we're not only taking care of ourselves, we're creating a position that our neighborhoods and our communities become more sustainable and can endure better the shortages that are to come. It's not a question of these shortages are coming. They are. It may look different here because we have more resources available to create genetically modified and engineered food. But I'm one is not am not going to eat their genetically modified junk. And I have no idea where they're going to get the sourcing of their protein or their slurry of proteins that they're going to use, especially now. And I mean exactly what I'm going to say, especially now that they have approved the liquefaction of bodies. We already know that in, in food flavorings and food colorings, they use fetal cells. That's in your food. So as we continue to look at what they are doing and how they are engineering food, you can absolutely ensure yourself that they are going to use whatever is necessary to feed the population. Why? Because the number one thing that any government knows and any ruling elite knows is when people begin to starve, revolutions begin. And they will do everything to keep people pacified. The important issue at hand here is what are we going to do about it? And in the end of the day, each one of us has the power to start taking control of growing some or all of your food. The more efforts you take, the more innovation you take, the more effort you take to research and learning these methods, the more successful and more independent you will be. But we have to break from the corporate dependency. This is the clutch that they control us by. They are and will use food as a weapon. It's happening now. Prices are increasing. Certain supply and availabilities are declining. 
your buying power is falling. And Patriots, we haven't even talked about the potential tonight of what happens if the dollar implodes. Nobody wants to consider this fact, but the fact of the matter is that with Russia on Monday announcing that the ruble is now backed by gold with 5,000 ruble to one gram of gold, there is now in place a solid currency that is backed by precious metals, the only one currently in the world. And Russia is selling its oil now in rubles only, or at least that's what it's claiming it's going to do. As this happens, you're seeing the migration away from the dollar. And as the, you see a migration away from the dollar, the world's reserve currency begins to lose its credibility and it begins to decline. That means our buying power falls radically. And since we are a country now dependent primarily on foreign inputs, including much of your canned goods that are being processed in China, everything about the way our life has been is going to disappear. It is falling away radically. The importance right now of starting a garden, of becoming educated in growing and how to tend to your soils has never been more important. It is a issue of national security. Sadly, we don't have a leader with a backbone or the sense to speak the truth. That has to change because our voice has to elevate and we have to get out into our neighborhoods and make people aware. This is a critical time. And we need to do this for the safety of ourselves for the security of our nation, and for the preservation of God's world. Let us pray. Father, as we come to you tonight, humble ourselves before you in a time of awakening and an awakening crisis that's looming on the horizon. We just ask that you can open the eyes of the many that continue to be asleep and and committed to a system that itself is run amok. Father, we just pray that tonight that in, in these messages that we talk and share about the, the importance of tending to a garden, the importance of taking responsibility for our food, the importance of taking back responsibility in our lives to start doing the things for ourselves and not being dependent on a corporate master, how important that becomes. In these times, Father, we need eyes to see. We need ears to hear. And as we take this message into the world, we just pray for that clean message, that message that can crack through the darkness of the hearts and open people's eyes and ears as we speak to them. Let us be guided by the blessings that you give. Let us be guided by all the blessings provided to us through our Lord Christ Jesus. And we say these things in Christ's holy name. Amen. We have to become sowers of seeds. And that's both stated in metaphorical or spiritual, if you will, and physical sense. The more that we sow seeds and understand the parable of the sower, both in an actual sense and a spiritual sense, the more successful we're going to be. The individual responsibilities right now for tending to our lives have never been more important. When you take food and you start to reduce food, all things become equal. It doesn't matter how much money you have doesn't matter what nice car you drive or don't drive. It doesn't matter what your house looks like. If you can't eat, it doesn't make any difference. Food is the critical connector, and the soil health is the critical foundation under which it is done. Each of us has that responsibility to regain that knowledge of stewardship and that responsibility in our lives to start tending to our needs 
getting rid of all the ideals of Western culture, which defines yards by the aesthetics rather than the function of gardening, which can be both, by the way, if you know how to build a good garden. But when we put aesthetics first and our eye pleasure first, rather than the functionality of an actual garden and the production of food, there is a consequence for this that is looming and it will be deadly. Time to get on to your growing gardens. Time to learn more about how to save seeds and propagate plants. Time to sow seeds in your neighborhood and your communities. Patriots, keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil, never relent, always press into the fight. This is a very critical time right now for prayers of clarity, discernment, and the ability for people to hear clearly. These messages that we're carrying are truly messages that are about saving lives. God is with us. He'll never forsake us. And in the end, God will win. But when we hear everything that we've talked about tonight, consider how important this mission is. Occupy the land. Expand the kingdom. Mission forward. I'll see you tonight for Fishers of Men. Until then or until the next time. God bless. And out for now. We shall pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe to assure the survival and the success of liberty. Every thoughtful citizen who despairs of war and wishes to bring peace should begin by looking inward, by examining his own attitude towards the possibilities of peace. Too many of us think it is impossible. Too many think it is unreal. But that is a dangerous, defeatist belief. It leads to the conclusion that war is inevitable that mankind is doomed, that we are gripped by forces we cannot control. We need not accept that view. Our problems are man-made, therefore they can be solved by man, and man can be as big as he wants. No problem of human destiny is beyond human beings. Man's reason and spirit have often solved the seemingly unsolvable and we believe they can do it again. Surely the opening vistas of space promise high costs and hardships as well as high reward. So it is not surprising that some would have us stay where we are a little longer to rest, to wait. But this city of Houston, this state of Texas, this country of the United States was not built by those who waited and rested and wished to look behind them. This country was conquered by those who move forward, and so will space. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other thing, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Because that challenge is one that we're willing to accept. The energy the faith, the devotion, which we bring to this endeavor will light our country and all who serve it. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country.
an old evil that has waited thousands of years to show its face. It has only one intent, to destroy God's light and to enslave. It has no scruples, it has no rules but one, to win at any cost. But we will never bow, for we are the remnant that will hold the line. This is war. We fight. We push. We climb. We never give in. We become the nightmare that evil didn't know could exist. We pray. We stand. We live by the words, in God we trust. We fear nothing. We are the light that can never be extinguished. We are patriots. We are the digital army that will help deliver God's wrath.